the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and all. I don't often have a chance to do a giveaway, but let's do a giveaway right now, i.e., free tickets that have a pretty good value. Going to be looking for a caller. Callers receive a pair of tickets to see In My Life, a musical theater tribute to the Beatles featuring Alexander Jean as Brian Epstein, Saturday, September 12th. So if you can't go Saturday, September 12th, don't take the tickets. But this is going to be at the Montgomery Theater in San Jose. Montgomery Theater in San Jose. Tickets on sale now. And again, it's uh, In My Life, musical theater tribute to the Beatles. Um, it's considered by industry insiders to be the most unique Beatles show in decades. Progress uh, through the various musical stages of the Beatles, from the Ed Sullivan Show to the psychedelic era of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band and the raucous rock of revolution. Anyway, you already know the songs. Uh, looking for eh, just someone who wants the tickets and who can go September 12th. Um, you can we'll get you the tickets, but you have to call 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Uh, groundbreaking appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. Pretty cool as far as the history of media goes. Call 800-516-1220 to get those tickets now. Uh, we'll be doing this later in the week as well. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. So you'll have an opportunity to say the least. Uh, a little bit of an earthquake near San Francisco. Should you get earthquake insurance is the big question. If you have something that you can't afford to lose, yes. I have a home that's worth a million and a half of which I've got equity in it of probably 500000 Um I could lose it. I'd still be okay. So do I have a hell Do I have earthquake insurance? No. The question is, like, if it was a $1.5 million house that is paid for with $1.5 million, and it's the only thing I have, I don't have money invested, saved, or anything like that, yeah, I might, you know, get, if that's what I was thinking. Anyway, um, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in there. Let's bring in, CF, uh, let's bring in CFP, Chad Burton. Do, 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 do. Okay. Jeremy must not be paying attention. 
which is understandable because he's probably. Can you take CFP Chad Burton? Uh, paying off small balances on your Burton to talk about a problem that the Bay Area has. A lot of rich valuation companies. Uh, one of the things they do is give their employees ESPPs, RSUs, options, employee stock purchase plans, and the taxes on these ramifications. They have to play out some way. It's a lot to get to know, and it's pretty intimidating for me as a, a radio host who's been doing this a long time. What do we need to know, Chad? Well, first of all, you have to set a plan in terms of what's right for you and the amount of company stock that you should be holding. Um, now, you know, obviously, people have become wealthy because of concentrated stock positions of companies that have gone public, and they've become you know, well-paid as a result of that. But you can also look in uh, you know, the tech bubble burst and see the complete opposite of it. So you know, as you get close to retirement, if you, you know, get within that you know, 10 year from retirement, if you're owning 5% or more of the company's stock, the same company that pays you, that has your 401k match and everything, it's, it's, it's danger. It's danger time. Um, and because it's 20 to 40% stock market corrections or company corrections, if they don't hit a product right or something bad happens, um, you know, it, it's common and that's too, too much risk to take. Let's let's first start with restricted stock or RSUs because that is the most common type. Really, the non-quals and the incentive stock options aren't being issued as much anymore because they're accounting problems. Restricted stock, you are granted a certain amount of RSUs, and as they vest, they become fully taxable to you as ordinary income. And usually, you just let's say they'll give you let's say 100 shares, but they'll sell. 20 shares in order to pay the taxes, right? And that oh. automatically happens. There is no tax strategy reason for continuing to hold RSUs. There's no reason for it. So if you're already overweight in that company's stock and you don't want any more, as they vest, sell them and immediately reinvest it in a diversified portfolio. There's no tax planning involved there. As they vest, they're taxable. Sell them. Move on. Okay. Now, if you're younger, obviously you can let your your exposure to that company, especially if you're you think it's a great company and you really want to, you know, get, I don't mind getting it up to 10% or so if it's a really good company. Um, ESPPs, that's another way to get a discount on your company's stock. ESPPs, you have to realize, and there's a download on this. It's really confusing to talk about on radio, but you get a discount on the price. And that discount you'll always pay a regular income tax on. And in order to qualify the most of the future gains for, 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 uh, capital gains, a lower tax bracket, there's a certain holding period. So just to, on a basic, you want to start trimming those if you're overweight in the company stock. You, if they're up in value and they have gains, you want to basically hold them for about two years. There's an 18-month time frame, but, and you can read about it. Go to newfocusfinancial.com in the resource section. There's a bunch of stuff on ESPPs. But there is a tax strategy to maximize or minimize the taxes, rather, with employee stock purchase program. Um, if it's a company that's flat or going down, if it's going down, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> but if it's flat, you can still make the purchase, get the discount, turn around, immediately sell them if you want. Now, non-qualified stock options, there's there's nothing you can do tax-wise. As you, when you exercise them, they're fully taxable. And so there's not a lot of reason to exercise and hold them. What you have to do is make sure you're keeping an eye on your expiration dates. I've seen situations where people forget about their expiration dates, Rob, and they're a high-level executive, and they've forgotten about their expiration date, and they're about to expire, 
but they are also in a point in time where they're not allowed to sell the stock because of blackout periods. So they're forced to buy and hold it. And then if that's late in the year, you pay the taxes in, in the current year, but you can't sell until the future year. That reminds me of 2000, 2001, where people exercised and held, had a huge tax bill, and then the market fell apart. They had nothing, but they still owed taxes. So you have to watch your expiration dates, and there's a whole bunch on non-qualified stock options as well. Incentive stock options, that's where it gets tricky, and that's where it becomes tax planning, you know, not tax planning 101, but it's big time because you got alternative minimum taxes. You can exercise and hold them. It's not taxable at the ordinary income tax level. If you hold them for the longer of uh, uh, two years, one year from exercise, two years from grant, then they can qualify for capital gains. But that initial exercise can be subject to AMT, and then AMT has dual cost basis stuff. So anyways, you got to get a good certified financial planner and a good CPA as a team to model your exercise strategy. you got to be aware of the leverage. There's a lot of leverage. So when you're younger, you want the leverage. But when you're older, you don't want the leverage as much and need that extra risk. So an older person might, if they have directly held stock and and leveraged options, they might reduce their leveraged options first. A younger person, if they want to diversify out of the company's stock but they want the leverage, they might sell their direct stock first and hold on to the leveraged options. So it's really based on your age, your risk tolerance, um, you know, that, that same old you know, boilerplate stuff that advisors have to say, but you have to come up with a plan. You really do. You do need a plan. ESPPs, RSUs, options, employee stock purchase plans. I've seen people let their options expire worthless. It's crazy how tough this is for people to put their heads around. Contact a CFP. You can find Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Comcast about ready to launch a major video platform called Watchable, trying to rival Facebook, Google, probably Verizon as well. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Paying off small balances on your credit card, it could lead to defeat. There's been a lot of research done on this. The tedious task of, you know, going smaller versus faster, motivation, the idea of paying off your credit cards. And I hate this conversation. I hate this thought of, you know, what you should do with your credit card debt. I want you to be motivated to reduce your debt. And if you've got five cards and you can pay off one, then suddenly you've got four cards. The thought is, you know, Americans have too much credit card debt. You know what the average credit card debt is in America? 
amongst households with credit card debt, the average is owed 15863 bucks. That's too much. Pay off the smallest one? No. Pay off the one with the highest interest rates and don't ever do it again. And if you have to live on credit or carry $15,000 of credit card debt, you're doing something wrong. Let's bring in, let's talk a little maybe real estate this segment with Tony Mendez. Joining me now, BayAreaLoanSource.com's very own Tony Mendez. You can hear him Thursday evenings on this radio station, on this show, on a regular basis, but Thursday evenings from 6 to 7 when he does his real estate report for KDOW AM 1220. One of the areas that I, I saw that was interesting was household wealth up $10 trillion in the year 2013, which was a 14% increase from 2012. Household wealth is stocks and bonds. So we feel, I mean, that's a lot of wealth. You see that headline, and Americans are up $10 trillion in household wealth, value of home, stocks, banks, accounts, when you minus out mortgages, credit cards, and debts. That's psychologically pretty powerful. It is, yeah. So of that, $5.6 trillion came from the increase in stocks, whereas just $2.3 trillion, half of what came from stocks went from home values. And that's I'm not knocking it. That's a good number. What's nice to note about that is just telling the story, $10 trillion, that's future economy spending to me. And that's psychologically pretty powerful. If people's homes go up in value, what do they do? They spend, They usually they feel better about their value in their house, and they start spending money. They take equity lines out, or they cash out some way or another, or they start spending more money in their credit card to improve their property. That's the first thing that people usually do. And then they'll say things like, you know what? It looks like we're going to make it to retirement, so let's go on a vacation. Or let's make another – and they go on vacation make a baby, and mm-hmm. that's financially a very big decision. That's probably a bigger decision than buying a house now because yeah. it's, it's about $300,000 from age 0 to 17 to raise a kid. That's a house in most of America, right? So families of four in the Bay Area, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's You're committing uh, to it. It's a, it's a very interesting combination where you have a child and you go, you know what? We have a child now. We have to buy a house. Yeah. So <laughs> buying a house and having a child, two of the largest decisions you'll ever make. You know, having a kid, though, is also a great financial decision because some of the things that you were doing before going on vacations and getting no return other than you seeing the Louvre, you're now putting into a house or you're now putting into education, which does have a return on investment. You're putting into better financial assets. But let's talk about household wealth, $10 trillion. Let's say I'm feeling good. My home value, according to Zillow, has done great. I'm not assuming that's a real number, but let's just say it's close. Um, how do I go about getting a home equity line of credit? What's that look like? Well, there's a couple ways you can do it. Uh, the most common way is uh, online with some of the large banks. It okay. seems to be the easiest way. Um, you may or may not get the best rate. There's several places you can go online, like bankrates.com, and look at some of the, the products that lenders are offering. Of course, it's all tied towards your equity and how much you're actually borrowing. The lo- Surprisingly, the larger amount you borrow, the lower the rate. If you only borrow 50000 you might get prime plus one as opposed to 200000 with prime plus zero. So it all depends on what your your scenario looks like. What documents do I need? It's going to be similar to the... The, the whole loan transaction, you okay. still have to prove that you, you qualify. Tax. Um, Do I submit taxes? Um, in most cases, you will, yes. Okay. Two years of taxes? In most cases, you will, yes. If I lived in Texas, would I have to submit Texas taxes? Texas taxes. You know, usually you don't have to do state taxes, but federal. Okay. And that's nice to know because all my taxes are PDF. Do you see most people's taxes PDF, or do people sometimes drop 
I've seen so, most people, to be honest with you, send me one PDF of one year and a uh, fax copy of, a, of the next year. Okay. It always seems to be kind of, it, you know, it's funny what I've known. People switch tax tax accountants a lot, yeah. a lot more than I thought they would have, more than they do with cars. It's interesting. My life was so easy tax-wise until I turned 30. And every year since then, it's gotten more and more complicated. As I've added more properties and more types of investments, um, I highly recommend you. Well, I mean, CPI. I switched because I, I, I soon, you know, when I, as soon as I moved out of my property and, and I owned multiple rentals, and I started using a different type of accountant. And it, I also went from self-employed to W-2, so there's different reasons why. He's the best in real estate. He is Tony Mendez. He does the show here Thursday evening, 6 to 7. Listen to it. Listen to Chad's show, New Focus on Wealth from 1 to 2. I think those these three types of shows, mine and theirs, really give you an end-to-end you know, pie, so to speak, of everything that you need to know on financial issues whether it's financial planning, whether it's accumulating wealth, whether it's how to manage your 401k or how to manage your mortgage and treat it as the business decision that it is. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. I'm Rob Black, talking money invested in more. Morgan Stanley upped its price target on Tesla by 90%. And basically inside the research note, it ties towards autonomous driving. It's tied towards like self-driving cars. He's talking about, you know, the ability to sell miles versus to sell cars. It's a pretty aggressive note, research note, in the sense that, you know, down the road, we won't necessarily want to own a car for self-driving purposes, but we'll want to own it for how many miles we can, you know, get out of it. Um, Tesla hasn't really gotten into the world of Uber versus Apple in the race for the autonomous car, or Google should be probably more so than Apple. But uh, those are the three big companies, Google, Apple, and uh, Uber, that are all talking about self-driving cars, and they're all talking about putting people out of jobs. If you know anyone who's a UPS driver, FedEx driver, uh, taxi driver, uh, self-driving cars could potentially disrupt, and that's why people are so fascinated with it. Anyway, you can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Up in a price target by 90% based on the idea that Tesla will eventually talk about this is kind of goofy. I get it, but it's kind of goofy. We'll take care. We'll be right back. Find me online at robblack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I do appreciate it. Starbucks is an interesting situation. Great long-term investment name, in my opinion, because they sell an experience and not necessarily coffee. And again, you have to digest that and go at your own pace. You could probably say the same thing about Disney. You know, Disney is princesses and, you know, magic, the magic kingdom. Um, Starbucks is pretty similar. Company's strength has created a interesting dilemma because they've been able to raise prices pretty consistently. If you go back to when they opened their first store in Manhattan, it used to charge a buck twenty-five for a small cup. Small cup is known as a short, and yet we call it five bucks now, right? But you can actually still order a small cup of coffee at Starbucks. Just no one knows to do it. So if you ask for a short or a small cup, just eight ounces, you can get it. It's not listed on menus, but you can still do it. So it was buck twenty-five back in 1994, and now again. You look at Starbucks and you study it and you you know try to break down every angle. So they've created an odd situation in the sense that coffee prices have fallen you know enormously. Um, the currencies of Malaysia, Indonesia, Russia, Colombia, and Brazil have fallen. So the commodity prices have dropped enormously. Coffee's seen a pretty big drop. Um, if you take a look at it, they're off about 44%. And you know oil's the same way, right? So oil's gone from 90 bucks a, sh- a barrel to like 45-ish. Um, coffee, the same thing. But Starbucks raised prices in July. And you're like, what? What? Um, shares are up 5.4% since they've done that, compared with the S&P 500 up 1.3%. For a, co- a company's ability to raise prices is pretty important. If you take a look at the long term, though, shares are up 51% over the last year, including dividends, compared to 9% for the S&P 500. Um, if you look at over the last five years, shares are up 412% for Starbucks versus 115% for the S&P 500. I like Starbucks for the long-term patient investor because they can raise prices even when commodity prices fall, and people don't freak out over it. It would be like oil goes from 100 bucks a barrel to 35 bucks a barrel, and yet gas goes from $3 a gallon to 6 You'd be like, you want some of that action. What's interesting is they have to lock in their prices, and that's a lot trickier than it sounds. So uh, I think that's worthy of note. Oil. Talking about another greasy, slimy commodity. Um, huge oversupply right now. Uh, There was a jump in the U.S. oil rig additions last week that hints at a growing production. Uh, There's news that Oman is producing a record-breaking 1 million barrels a day. So if you're trying to get excited about oil stocks, they're cheap, but they probably have nowhere to go until production slows or until supply firms. Um, Over the past two weeks, Crude prices have fallen by 10% on supply concerns. So OPEC is running well above demand as far as filling the stockpiles worldwide. So the oversupply story remains the same. But long term, is there some value there? Yeah. But when will it be realized? 12 to 18 months maybe? Yeah, that's you know that's the short term guess. 
Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Back in 1997, Kevin Smith made a movie called Chasing Amy. It was a romantic comedy. And in the world of investing, you kind of want to chase yield. You want your money working for you and yielding some profits. Let's talk about that area, Mr. Burton. Well, there's a difference between investing for income and the kind of decumulation versus chasing yield, which a lot of people are being forced to do. And in fact, it's kind of, that's what the Fed wants. The Fed wanted, you know, interest rates to be down so that people go out and say, okay, my money's not doing anything in banks. Let's get it out there in the capital markets. Well, that pushed bond prices way up and yields way down. I mean, when we're looking at high-yield bond funds, which the real term is junk bond funds, these are companies that don't have the greatest credit, right? Mm -hmm. These are companies that, uh, you know, one big thing happens, such as a big drop in oil, they're all of a sudden defaulting on bonds. Those are high-yield bonds. Those to be only rewarded a 45 to 5.5% rate of return on them, there's something wrong there. That's That's more risk. It's just as much risk, if not more risk, in the stock market, and people aren't getting paid necessarily to do it. Now, do they have some room to grow? Yeah, probably, because rates are still historically low. But I think a lot of people have been forced into situations where, number one, they forgot how they felt and how they reacted in 2000, 2001, and 2002, and then again in 2008 and 2009 when the market was down you know, almost 40% from its highs. So then they've gone and gotten really aggressive on the dividend-paying high-yield stocks or high-yield bonds. And they've been doing really well, but if there's a credit situation, um, if there's a jump in interest rates, then these things can drop in value anywhere from 5 to 20%. And the same thing with preferred stocks. So a lot of people load up on these things just because they have high current income and thinking, oh, it says it, because it has high current income, it must be like a bond or a CD, it must be safe. And I think people are really not aware of the risks that they've created in their portfolios. In fact, a lot of high-yield bond funds or junk bond funds now own up to 10% to 20% in stocks inside these things to keep the the yield high. Um, so it's it's a situation where people really have to monitor their portfolio. What's the difference between an exchange-traded note and exchange-traded fund? Exchange-traded fund is actually holding the underlying securities. An exchange-traded note tracks the underlying securities, but it's still subject to the to the uh, credit quality of the issuer. So, for example, uh, you know, some common ones out there are related to master limited partnerships or these you know oil and gas uh, companies that they they get paid a toll to have oil flow through them and things like that, and uh, they. There's certain ways to invest in those, but most of the time when you invest in them, you get a K-1 and it's a tax nightmare. But you can go into them in terms of an exchange-traded note or an ETN and not have the K-1 nightmare. Um, for example, one of them uh, is AMJ, which is J.P. Morgan's Illyrian MLP. So it invests in oil and gas master limited partnerships, but it's an ETN. So, for example, you're you're kind of investing in that and taking that risk, but you're also taking the risk of J.P. Morgan's credit quality, for example. Now, is J.P. Morgan fairly strong? Yeah, much stronger than they were in 2007, that's for sure. Um, there's also other ETNs or exchange-traded notes that have to do with um, different styles of bond investing and leveraged bond investing. And so people look at them and they think it's a normal holding, but sometimes there's leverage involved and then an additional credit quality. Now, are there some good ones out there? Yes, there are. But I think a lot of ETNs, uh, people don't understand the difference between an ETN and an ETF, and there's an extra kind of layer of credit worthiness that you have to be worried about. 
Anything about foreign bonds that we should know about in about one minute or less? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you got foreign bond funds, and there's some decent uh, yields that are out there. So obviously you have corporate foreign bond funds and then sovereign foreign bond funds where you're just buying the uh, you know debt of the country, almost like uh, U.S. treasuries, but from different countries around the world, whether it's Mexico or Brazil or, or whatever. And there are some higher yields available out there. Um, I wouldn't do it unless the bond fund manager has some of the ability to hedge against currency issues because the U.S. dollar has been going up. We spent some time when the dollar was going down. And, and so it really depends on the country and also the currency issues. So we've got about a third of our bond exposure in foreign bonds, but uh, the manager has the ability to deal with the currency as well as find the right investments inside of it. It's a little bit more volatile, but you do get a little bit more yield. Sounds good. That's CFP Chad Burton with lots of information about chasing yields. You can find him and articles about ideas like this at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. Home builder sentiment in August hit its highest level since a matching reading almost a decade ago. Um, basically, this is very consistent with a forecast of a gradually strengthening single-family housing sector in 2015. Of course, real estate's all about location, location, location. So some markets are stretched and have very little inventory. Some markets are uh, undersupplied and can totally get some demand tied towards it. job and economic gains are all pushing things forward at a very modest pace, but forward nonetheless. <clears throat> Oil moves near a six-year low on oversupply issues, and that's a bit of a shocker. Um, there's so much going on in oil. You know, Japan's the third world biggest economy, third biggest economy in the world. The third world. My voice is not working today. But their economy contracted. Oman is producing a record-breaking 1 million barrels a day. Oil rigs in the United States are growing, which hints at more production. Um, crude prices have fallen pretty aggressively, 10% in the last couple of weeks. OPEC is running above expectations. Uh, Iran, with their new nuclear deal, they're expected to increase exports once Western sanctions are lifted after the ratification of the recent nuclear deal. There's just an oversupply story that's there. 800-516-1220. You can find me online at robblack.com, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I do a little thing on television that I put up on YouTube on a regular basis. You can find more at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. If you want it to You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money 
1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I kind of hope that you do want to talk about things. Um, That's certainly my goal on a lot of levels. Um, 97% of the good jobs being created since 2010 have gone to people with college degrees. Workers who go to college cut the lion's shares of good jobs created in recovery. Um, some college doesn't cut it. Bachelors or higher cuts it as far as the good jobs go. Um, you know, a good job is defined as it having a median annual earnings of more than $42,700, which is laughable in the Bay Area as way too little. That puts people in the top t- three tiers of wages and occupations that they're classified for. For full-time year-round workers, you know, these jobs pay $53,000 plus. It's clear that, you know, secondary, post-secondary education is important for gaining access to the best jobs. Um, Both good jobs and low-wage positions have fully recovered from the recession losses. Where are you at with all this? Because I know a lot of people stress with their career. Um, We always want what the other people have, or we always want what's on the other side. And whether it be happiness or money, I think it's important to send your kids to college. I think if you make the decision to have a child, I think you should be thinking, what can I do to make sure that he gets there? Um, Because the good jobs are there. And I'm not saying like, uh, it's critical. I'm not saying that it's critical that, you know, like, you have a lot of money. I think it's critical that you have a lot of options in your life. And money doesn't buy happiness. There's no way. But money does buy opportunities. And it's up to you to figure out how to play those. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Interesting article in Barron's this weekend. And if you know anything about me, I put on my sexy music, my Zuby Zuby Zoo. And on Saturdays, I get my Barron's newspaper, which is kind of a weekly rag, as I like to refer to it, and I throw in some bubbles, and I slide it in my tub with some nice oil. Um, I kind of like a lavender scent in the tub, maybe some rose petals and some candles, and I read the sexiest magazine of all time, Barron's, which is dedicated to, like, solid financial reporting. Um... One of the the headline on it was this weekend was China's yuan could fall 10% or more. And that's pretty crazy. Uh, people are talking about $20 barrel of oil. People are talking China's yuan falling another 10% and, you know, how that would play out in the United States. China pinned its surprise devaluation and desire to allow market forces greater play inside of the currency's exchange rate. They manipulate the currency just like the United States does. The cheaper cost of the currency... Um, is good things for exports. Um, so China's economy reported 8% plus year-on-year plunge in exports for July, and they need to stop that because they're a manufacturing economy, even though they want to be a services economy. Um, <clears throat> so it's a great article, and they use a nice, you know, 
bits of reporting in it and how the effects will hurt companies like Procter & Gamble, Colgate-Palmolive, Kimberly-Clark, um, Apple. So um, China's not right. It's kind of like you meet someone who's kind of like a little weird in the head and you go, they're just not quite right. China's not quite right, and you can't put it in other terms. Now, if you look around the United States... If you go to like Beverly Hills or if you go skiing in Tahoe or Whistler, you'll see just a ton of Chinese tourists spilling out, um, ready to buy Gucci purses and Nike sneakers and Apple watches. Um, so Chinese tourists are a very, very important part of our economy in the United States. They like to shop. Um, and I hate to use that phrase, they, or that word they, because it sounds so ooh, slightly uncomfortable. So China's decision to devalue the wand also plays out in our, the U.S. economy, not just in their exports, but in the U.S. economy. Some of it's good, some of it's bad. Um, retailers and shopping centers will take a hit for sure. Tour guides and hotels would probably feel a similar pinch. Companies that import Chinese goods will enjoy reduced prices, though, and those catering to overseas investors may get a boost you know, from people eager to shelter their wealth in dollars. Um, depending on what kind of business you're in, it can be a positive or negative the weaker you're in, Juan. Um, I, I threw that out there for you because, like, there's no right answers. You know, if one industry will suffer like tourism, another industry like importing will do great. In 2014, 2.2 million visitors from China traveled to the United States. That was up more than 21% from the year before. They spent over $24 billion in the U.S. economy. That's stunning. Um, last November, Obama and his administration gave a big boost to Chinese tourism by relaxed visa rules for Chinese tourists and business travelers. Like, we want them to do well because they ultimately help us. It's the craziest notion, like, to say, yeah, weaker yeah, yen is a good thing. It feels uncomfortable saying that, but... There's pluses and minuses. In investing, there's always going to be, when you work with a financial planner, there's always going to be. Um, be careful what you do out there. Give me a call, 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening to the show. I wildly, wildly appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Um, find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.